Williams. All right, there we go. Amen. I'd like to say for myself, happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the house. And it's a great day to be a father. And we thank God for the opportunity that we have to come and share this time as we speak to fathers this morning. I look fathers that are, fathers to be, amen, so it's an amazing thing, and we're going to talk about fathers today, obviously, but those who know me know that I don't only follow the traditional route of things, so God has a word for us, you know, because, you know, as a father, as my wife mentioned earlier, of seven children, and multiple grandchildren, and now the great grand starting to add up, you know, uh, I understand the great responsibility of father. Let us, let us bow our heads and just go before the Lord in prayer ask him to be in our midst this morning as we go into his word. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we magnify you for who you are, Lord, knowing that we must rely upon you. I rely upon Come to bring forth this word on this morning, speaking to the hearts of your people. Lord, we as men, or fathers, Lord, Lord, we, we come knowing that we don't know it all. So we pray, God, for the fathers that are still struggling, the fathers that are, are scared, don't even know how they live. Fathers, Lord, that fall short. Lord, uh, we even pray for the fathers who think they have it all together. We pray especially for that. Lord, we ask you right now to continue to lead us, guide us, and direct us. We ask you for your grace. Lord, as we walk through it, and even those that haven't walked into it yet, that you would let your word and your, your spirit lead them into it, Lord. They would be better equipped than those of us who have stumbled, who have struggled, and who have fell. But yet we rise up and we set our eye upon you. We pray for the women and children that are following. Lord, we ask that you would give them a measure of grace for our insufficiencies. Lord, as we stand before you, desiring to do our best, we give you praise right now. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be We ask your spirit to move in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Get my notes up here. I'll be the first to say that I have made a lot of mistakes as a father. Amen? And I hope I got some, some, some witnesses in the house. Not just of my mistakes, but witnesses that y'all made mistakes too. Okay. It's all right for us to admit that. In fact, it's important for us to admit that, that we, we have fallen short and made mistakes, and as we yield ourselves into the Spirit of God and allow God to lead us, guide us, direct us, and help us, to build us, you know, we don't have to make the same mistakes over again. Amen? Do I just hear the women saying amen? Can I get some of them, you know? Because truly, you know, I, I feel, you know, being Father's Day, you know, you know, we, we 
look at Father's Day and it's a celebration, it's a holiday, as they say, you know. But yet, it, to me, it can be quite somber. Because fathers have the power to, to be a blessing, and fathers also have the power to be a mess. Amen. <laughs> I just got to be real this morning. So if you look into Scripture, you know, we, we, we see the role of the fathers it is an extremely important role in the lives of families, people, and even nations. You know, it's, 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 it's an important foundational role as we begin to look into the Word of God. Amen. And I, and I you know, stop and think, you know, even as I was looking at, you know, in preparation earlier this week, I'm looking and saying, wow, we find with great frequency phrases such as the house of your fathers or the tribe of their fathers or the land of their fathers. It's God is making references to what he's going to do or not going to do, how he's going to move or not going to move, where he's going to take them and so forth. But he's constant, the constant references are there. You know, he even speaks about the, the iniquities of the fathers. And he speaks about the blessing and the God of their fathers, the promises that he made unto their fathers. He's always referring to the fathers. We find, amen, just as we look at that, you know, that people, you know, everywhere throughout history, even until today, amen, to a great degree are identified by the effects and the actions of their fathers. Amen? Now, we didn't ask for this. I know I didn't ask for this. You know, but God chose us chose us to be men, amen, and, and with that comes a, a grave responsibility, you know, and then we're going to take a, a, a closer look at the depth of that responsibility, the long-reaching implications of that responsibility. Some of us can look at our own lives, amen, and see, you know, some of the things, our choices, or decisions, or mistakes that we made, how they've had far-reaching effects, not just in our own lives, amen, and, and even when we do good and the blessings and how that too can perpetuate into the lives of those who are following us or those who have, we have influence over as fathers, both naturally, first and foremost, and even spiritually. Amen. We, we can run amok, amen, and, and wound a whole lot of people, amen, if we're not really leaning upon and trusting in God. Well, so I, I just think about, you know, the, the tone and direction that can be set for generations by the things that we do or don't do. And it's just, it's, you, know, I, you know, I think about that, and that's, that's, a, that's a great weight, as it were, than as it is to be placed upon a man, a mere man. You know what I'm saying? A mere man to try to negotiate, navigate those types of waters with that type of, of responsibility. But when that man yields himself to God, He's no longer just a mere man. And he's no longer just relying on his own strength, power, and ability or understanding to, to take on such a huge responsibility that God puts on us as men and as fathers. We don't have to try to figure it out all by ourselves, but we can allow him to lead, guide, and direct us. Amen. And, you know, I know I, I for one, wish I had made that connection, you know, before I became a father. Amen. And therefore, I know I would avoid some of the pitfalls that I, I found myself in and leading my family through because I did not have that connection early on, amen, as a father, as a husband, as the head of a house. 
but God is faithful. Amen. Just tell somebody that God is faithful. You know, so we, we have to look at the, the importance, amen, as we stand and we declare these things, amen, before us, that God is doing a great thing, but we have got to yield ourselves and say, Lord, I need your help. Realizing, you know, and I just want to drive it home before we dig any further, the importance of everything that we do as men, as fathers, is important. Amen? Is there any one of us among us that has not made a mistake? Can you speak now? There's a father here that hasn't made any mistakes. Maybe I need to come under your tutelage. I've made quite a few. Amen? But we have. And the reason I, you know, even with the children in here, because I think they need to, you know, this bothers me. Man, and if, uh, these young men, as I look at these three sitting here on the front row one day, the Lord delay is coming, they'll be fathers. Amen? So even as we speak into their spirit, amen, that they can put that in, in store and in reserve, amen, and learn how to walk and how to stand strong and how to to lead a household because we, we can make a mess of things. Amen? I know I did. So I tell on myself, amen, I made, I made a mess of things, amen, but when I finally got myself together and, and realized that I needed God, amen, he was able to help me, amen. So as we look amongst ourselves, amen, we know that we can stir up some stuff. Amen? And there's typically be two types of trouble that come into a family. Well, I'm going to deal with that just for a little bit here. But there's typically two types of troubles, amen. And we know, amen, that the, the scripture lets us know that, you know, we're going to have trouble in our life. It lets us know that right off the bat. If you live God, you shall suffer persecution, amen. You know, Paul at one point said, I'm troubled on every side. Amen. So there, there's going to be trouble. And, you know, typically two types, amen, that we look at them basically. And it's those troubles that come from without. And those are troubles that come from within. Amen? You're getting most every trouble that you deal with as a family, as a household, is going to be in one of those two categories. When we're talking about those that come from without, things like hurricanes, and tornadoes, floods, or house fire, you know, I mean, those types of things, sudden sickness or a death of a loved one, unexpected loss of income, those things, you know, those, those are not internal problems, and those types of things usually help pull the family together as we walk through disaster and tragedy and those things that are imposed upon us as a family. Amen. Those, those are the types of troubles that, amen, help in most cases to solidify us. Amen. But then there's those troubles that come from within. You know, and there, as uh, they said in one of Disney movies, that's a horse of another color. Amen. And what am I talking about? Those that come from within. Things like neglect and betrayal, unforgiveness and bitterness, undue pressure placed upon one another. Amen. Deception and abuse, hatred and heartbreak. I'm talking about within the family. Well, you know, that's just the name, just a few of the culprits, amen, that want to come into our households and sometimes we as fathers are the driving force behind some of those things or on other, in other hands we are negligent in dealing with those things and they, they can be there and they can be breathed into the lives of our children of our relationship with them and 
the relationships that they have one with another, the relationship that they have with us as parents, amen, even between the relationship between us as husbands and wives. You know, those things that rather than draw us together, they have a tendency to rip us apart. Amen? Divide the family, polarize the family, make the family feel like, you know, I don't want to be at home. I don't want to move out. I can't wait till I get 18. How many of us have said that one? You know, but, but then there's children that say, I don't want to leave home when I get 18 because they find peace and they find connection and they find the love that, that is, you know, they should feel in the home. Even though, you know, they're saying, I, I don't want to go nowhere. You know, I remember me, it's like, hey, I'm looking forward to them being gone. Yeah. I'm just telling them, they know it. I'm looking forward to them being an empty nest. Amen. So, so we've had some brief spurts of that. Amen, because, you know, they come back. Or the grandkids come by, hang out for a while. You know, and, and, and we don't have no problem. We, we love them. You know, but I, I just truly want to see them feel strong enough to stand on their own road and take on life, but at the same time know that they have a home. Because of everything going on out there, they have a place that they can return to if they you know, and that's the kind of atmosphere that we want to foster. But as we look at this, as we, you know, take the time to look at the extreme attacks that come against the family, where is that? Where is the father? And, you know, and, and we can be present but absent. Amen. I, I won't take time to deal with the, the absentee father. You know, because, you know that's, that's a whole other thing. But I want to talk about our actions and our effects and the things that we do, amen, because there's an extreme attack against the family unit in our nation. Amen, that bothers me. I know I'm not the only one in here. But there's, there's a destruction and there's an attack against the family unit. And almost often as we look around at the church in general, amen, the assault comes against the men. Amen. In, in so many different varying ways, amen, it's, it's easy and often and common to go into churches and see more women than men. Men, are, you know, we got other things to do. Games on. <laughs> you know, but we, we, we got our mindset somewhere else uh, and, and thinking that this is how I lead my family. But when it comes to the spiritual matters, it's so extremely important that we take charge and take the lead there, too. Amen, because that's what's going to help us to be a better leader. Amen. You know, I'm, I've never been one about sports. Many of you know that. Amen. I don't follow my, in fact, mom knows more about football than I do. Is he 80, what, 81? You know, and she knows, she can tell you more about the players on what team and who's where. That's not a brother. That's not me. Never has been. You know, so... Because why? My focus has never been on you know, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around what God has called me to do. You know, and that takes a, most of my time, amen, just trying to, to move forward. So, you know, but I'm saying that to say, you know, we can invest and we can know about whose stats and whose record and who's on what team and who's traded here and who's traded there. And then when we ask the a question about our children, they're like, Hello. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm not the traditional one. I didn't come to, you know, I got to stir us up. 
Well, we got to focus on fathers. I want to stir it up. I want to say, hey, you know, because I got to check myself. Amen. It comes to home first before it can go abroad. Amen. And so we, we got to ask ourselves, you know, how we can learn so much about everybody and everything else, but when it comes to our own children, our own household, are we that well informed? We research, dig, and, you know, do all those things to know them, to know the needs, to know the ups and downs, the hurts and the pains, the effects of our actions and our thoughts and, and so forth in their lives. You know, everything we do as a father matters in the lives. And I'm not just talking about the things that they hear or see us do. Amen? I'm talking about everything we do matters in their lives. And, and we're going to get to the reason why. You know, my wife, you know, she, she, we, we think about, you know, when I got saved, you know, and she made the comment before, they never saw their dad do this or that, but they ended up doing it. And she goes, before I got saved, I was a mess. I don't mind telling you. I don't know. I was, I was, she, she, she considers me to have been an alcoholic. I still don't agree with that. Most alcoholics are in denial anyway, but I'm not one of those. You know. But, but she considered me, and I would have a liquid lunch. You know. When my friends would go to the package store on base and, you know, pick up some MD-2020, you know, you know, we, we would do those things, and then it got to the point to where I would even begin to smoke marijuana. Go back to work, blast it. I'm not condoning that, children, but I'm telling you what I did. Some of the mistakes I made. But when I gave my life to the Lord, my oldest boy was an infant. He never saw me do those things. Ever. What shows up in their lives? The very things that dad was doing. How do you figure? We can't just say it's the world that we live in because many didn't go down that road. You know, so, so go figure. What, what, what was it that made that transfer? We're going to get there. That's why I say it's important. Everything that we do matters in the life of our children. We don't know when it's going to show up or how it's going to show up, but we need to consider it can possibly show up in their lives. You know? So, as fathers, we have a great responsibility. Turn with me to Galatians, the sixth chapter. And as you turn on that, I want the fathers to, to repeat after me. Everything I do matters in my family's future. Everything. Now, I know some of y'all don't want to even report, you know, follow what I said, but it, whether you repeat it or not, the truth is there. The fact is that everything we do, the good and the bad, the mistakes, all those things, they matter. But in Galatians, the sixth chapter, this is a, the scripture we want to begin with. Amen. Y'all doing all right? Hallelujah. And I want to look at the seventh verse, beginning at the seventh. And it says simply, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, 
that shall he also reap. And we've got to stop thinking, what are we sowing into the lives of our children? What are we sowing into our family, you know, through our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, whatever the case might be, you know, and so that's why I say everything that we do, we're going to dig into that just a little bit more, but, you know, before we go any further, I want to share with you a prayer that was written, uh, a prayer of a father that was written to his son in the letter while the father was off fighting in World War II. And he wrote this in a letter to his son. The author of this letter was the General Douglas MacArthur. Some of you have heard of that name. Amen. And he died in 1964 at the age of 84. And for those of you who don't know, he was a five-star general. Amen. He got up in the ranks. He was also a field marshal in the Philippine Army during the Philippine conflict. He also served as the chief of staff for the United States Army during the 1930s. So this was a very prominent man, very successful man. You know, he played great roles in the Pacific Theater during World War II, and he received the Medal of Honor for his service in the Philippines, you know, which made him and his father, Lieutenant General Arthur MacArthur, the first father and son to receive the Medal of Honor in succession, one after the other. Well, he was a successful man. And this is what he wrote in the letter to his son. And I want you to pay attention to what he wrote. He said, build me a son, O Lord, who will be strong enough to know where he is weak and brave enough to face himself when he is afraid, one who will be proud and unbending in honest defeat and humble and gentle in victory. Build me a son whose wishbone will not be where his backbone is. A son who will know thee, and that to know himself is the foundation stone of knowledge. Lead him, I pray, not in the path of ease and comfort, but under stress and spur, under the stress and spur of difficulties and challenge. Let him hear, let him learn to stand up in the storm. Here, let him learn compassion for those who fail. Build me a son whose heart will be clean, whose goals will be high. A son who will master himself before he seeks to master other men. One who will learn to laugh, yet never forget how to weep. One who will reach into the future, yet never forgetting the past. And after all these things are his, add, I pray, enough common sense so that he will always be serious, yet never take himself too seriously. Give him humility, so that he may always remember the simplicity of greatness and the open mind of true wisdom and the meekness of true strength. Then I, his father, will dare to whisper, I have not lived in vain. I don't know if you caught all that. But if ah, we could build a son like that, as he's praying, with the Lord's help, he becomes a mighty man. He truly does. But we have to have the foresight to realize that in order to build that kind of son with God's help, we have got to strive to be that kind of man. 
to be that kind of example before him. Because our example, amen, says more than our words to our children. How we walk and how we carry ourselves. So today as we, we celebrate and we talk about fatherhood and, and so forth, keep in mind what kind of sons and daughters are we in the process of building. So we want to look at one of the heroes in the Bible. I mean, you know there's a lot of heroes in the Bible. We talked about the World War II heroes, amen, and the Civil War heroes, amen. But there's a lot of heroes in the Bible. And this morning we want to dig in. We want to take a look at one of the heroes in the Bible. He was a great warrior, a commander, a conqueror, and a king. A man that loved God and was loved by God. A man who sought after and followed was sought after and followed by many mighty men and also feared by his enemies. He did great exploits for God and for his nation. Some of you know who we're talking about. Yes, we're talking about the man, amen, that we're going to talk about today is King David. We talked about him before and some of his issues, amen. But we're going to take another look at King David, amen, as the backdrop of our message. He was the first king in history to be selected according to his ability rather than his birth. Thinking about David, amen, he was courageous. His character crowned him as king. He was considered to be, in the eyes of many, magnanimous. Twice he spared the life of Saul, his enemy. In spite of his sins, the people of Judah loved David. David was a great ruler, a fine soldier, and was a statesman. Amen. He led the country very well. Amen. He didn't fail as a king, but David failed as a father. A lot of times we look at all the great, but David failed as a father. He was too involved in the royal responsibilities and, and leading the nation, amen, to adequately give time and to relate to his family. This, amen, continues to be the familiar pattern of busy fathers, even to this day. And then we show up too late to minister to the needs of our children. So though David did great things, amen, and was touted through scripture in his greatness, he did fail miserably as a father. And we can do great things as men, amen. And we can be recognized by all those around us. And, and we can walk and we can poke our chest out how great we've done on our job and our business and our ministry. But what's really going on at all? Where's that at? Oh, it's Father's Day. We're supposed to be celebrating. What's wrong with you, Pastor Day? Oh, we celebrate. Amen? Because, you know... We want to be better fathers. We don't want to just come in here and say, woo-hoo, fathers, say, yay, and then go back and still be jacked up. Hello? Isn't that right? So I come to help us. I come to help me. And even in preparing and going over this and looking at circumstances and situations, you know, I, I have to constantly check myself. My wife got to hit it right on the head. I'm not perfect. You know, and I would never even dare to proclaim growing, still learning, still seeking after God, amen, both as a father 
and as a spiritual leader, amen, to be able to do it his way and not my own. So let's again look at Galatians, the sixth chapter. And this time I want to read the seventh and eighth verse out of the Amplified Bible. Because a lot of things are coming. We've been talking about a whole lot of grace and speaking on grace, but we're going to have to even look at that, you know, and realize how that fits into this passage here. Because it says in the Amplified, do not be deceived and delude and mislead deluded and misled. God will not allow himself to be sneered at, scorned, disdained, or mocked by mere pretensions or professions or by his precepts being set aside. I don't got to do that. He, eventually, he inevitably deludes himself who attempts to delude God. In other words, you got to fool yourself before you think you can fool it. you got to deceive yourself for you think you can deceive God. Amen? For whatsoever a man soweth that, and that only is what he will reap. But he who sows to his own flesh, lower nature, sensuality, will from the flesh reap decay and ruin and destruction. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now notice here, the Apostle Paul is not talking to the children of Israel. He's not talking, you know, he's not quoting a, a scripture, a verse out of the law. When you go to Galatians 1, 1, and 2, it makes it very clear. He's speaking unto the churches of Galatia. He's speaking to people, talking to people who are living under God's grace, God's people, those who know God. And he's still saying, don't be deceived. You might be saved, but don't be deceived. God ain't going to be mocked. You may be forgiven, but God will not be mocked. Whatsoever we sow, huh, we shall, what, reap. That and that only. You can't sow bad and expect you're going to get good out of it. Even God knows if you plant apple, an apple seed, you're going to get where consequences only in the next. Amen. So let's not, let's not narrow it in on one thing because we understand, amen, that what? He said, the second part of that verse is, but he who sows to the Spirit will, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. Amen? So understanding, amen, that there's good consequences when we do good. And guess what? Newsflash. Bad consequences when we do bad. So we got to, you know, and, I, and again, I, t I put myself out there. I sow bad seed for a long time. First 27 years of my life, I sowed bad seed. So all that did, didn't go, go away when I came and gave my life to Christ and said, you know, I repent, and, you know, I'm sorry. You know, it, it, it's kind of like this. If, if I'm robbing a bank and I get shot and I become paralyzed in the act of committing a sin, and then I realize I shouldn't have done that, and I repent. And I'm sorry. God forgive me. I'll never do that again. And he forgives me. But guess what? I'm still paralyzed. The consequence of my sin is long lasting. It's ongoing. 
You break your arm in the midst of, in the act of commission of sin. That's a consequence. You got to live with. Although you, it doesn't. Just, we understand that in the natural, but sometimes we don't see it like that in the spiritual. You feel like if I just repent, Amen, and everything else that I've done, all the consequences that are that I laid out there are just gonna go away. God will not be mocked. But said we sow. Now see, here's the beauty of it all. He gives us the grace to deal with it. Amen. He empowers us to, to make it through it. He helps us to, to, to handle those things. Amen. So I, I thank God for his grace. Isn't that right? Amen. So we, we need to understand that everything we do, amen, has its own inherent. That's why we don't have to impose stuff on people. Amen. We just got to love them, lead them, teach them, guide them. But it's not imposing things on folks. Amen. Because why? Our actions have their own consequences. God deals with each one of us according to his purpose and his will. Amen. So recognizing those things, amen, so we, we look at it. The grace does not, amen, erase the consequence. It's not a get-out-of-consequence-free card. And you ever play Monopoly, you know, you got the get-out-of-jail-free card, or, you know, you go around and you collect $200 and you all that. But see, that, that's not how it works, amen, because I repented, because I changed, amen. It's not get out of my consequences, free card. Amen. If I do something, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have consequences, amen. So it does mean that God, because God has forgiven us, he ain't going to kill us. Amen. But he, like I say, he's going to give us the strength to deal and to endure the consequences, amen. The death of Christ did not come to remove consequences. He came to remove this thing of death. The wages of sin. Look at Romans 6 and 23. Amen. Let's see. Because I, I want us to really separate the two. There's a difference between consequences and punishment. Amen. But 6 and 23, Romans, it says this. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through, through, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We got to do it through him. Amen. And his grace comes upon us. But like I said, don't get it confused, amen. Consequences, amen. Those, that's something that's produced, amen, because of our actions. And it's inherent to the action. It's going to come. Amen. Logically, it's going to come. Amen. The consequence of war, it can be economic disaster for a nation. You spend so much on war, now you've got to try and recover. That's the consequence of going to war. Amen. You lie, amen, and you steal. There's consequences that come after that, amen. Now, when you go before the judge, the judge is the one that imposes what? Punishment. See? So the judge might be light and lenient, or he may drop the hammer on you. Why? Because now you've violated the law. The consequences are not based on law. Punishment is based on law. Breaking the rules. So comes punishment. Consequences. Actions. Amen. That's the part that does not go away. So Jesus came to die, amen, to get us out of the punishment, the death. But he didn't come to get us out of the consequences of our actions. Fairly two different things. So we wonder, I got saved and I gave my life to us. Why is this still going on in my life? You're saved. You're forgiven. Huh? This thing of death has been removed from you. But 
hands with me. You still got to feel Amen? Now let's look at that verse one more time. Can we look at that verse one more time? Amen? Those two verses, amen. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Because it's, a, it's a three parts in that verse. I don't want us to miss. The first one is a warning. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Don't let anybody or anything tell you differently. Don't let your own experiences tell you, well, I can get away with this. No, it says God will not be mocked. Don't be deceived by yourself or anybody else. That's the first part of those verses. The second part, here's the principle. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Period. That's the principle. We'll reap what we sow. Amen? And then the consequences, amen, that come through the reaping is for he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Good and bad consequences based on that simple verse, those two simple verses. Amen? It warns us, gives us the principle, and it shows what the consequences will be based on our actions. Y'all got that? Amen. Again, when we sow to the flesh, the pain of the harvest is always greater than the pleasure of the plant. I don't think y'all got that. I say when we sow to the flesh, the pain of the harvest is always greater than the pleasure of the plant. It felt good to do what I did, but the pain, the harvest is so much greater. I want to go through this. You know, you enjoy planting. You enjoyed what you was doing or saying, but now come the consequences and they're far more painful. Uh, but conversely, on the other side, the cost of sowing good and doing good, the sacrifice of doing good, is far outweighed by the blessings that come in the harvest. So we got to choose which one we want. We're a little pain now, a lot of pain later. A little humility now, a whole lot of humility later. I say flip it. Let, let, let's take the pain now. Let's humble ourselves now. Let's be obedient now. Let's, let's, let's pay the cost now to do it his way so that the blessings can overwhelm us. The consequence, the, the blessing, the harvest of that consequence can overwhelm us, amen, and overwhelm the world around us as they see my goodness, see, sometimes we just got to live long enough to outlive our bad consequences so we can walk into our new consequences. It took a while. When I gave my life to the Lord, it took a while for me to get out of the bad harvest. It did. That stuff just kept coming up, kept coming up, kept coming up. Every now and then, one of them weeds still try to pop up. I got a spiritual hope. I just... Huh? Pull that thing out. It's time to pluck up. Huh? See, but after a while, after you've planted a good seed, now you start seeing a constant, consistent, back-to-back, what they call it, a bumper crop of good things. Because we've learned how to sow good things into our family, into our children, to be a good light, a good example, to stand strong, even when our flesh is saying, "Eh, I don't want to do it like this. We realize this is God's way, this is going to bring good consequences in my life and in the future of my family and my children, so I'm going to do it that way, and I've got to bring myself under subjection because this is God's way and God's will, amen. So we've got we to 
deal with that like we need to deal with that. Amen. So now I've laid the foundation. Now we can turn our attention to David. Remember we was going to talk about David? Y'all probably forgot about him. We were talking about consequences. You know, but I didn't forget. So what do we see? What can we learn from the life of David who failed miserably as a father? And probably many of us never even thought about how miserable father David was. Because we've got blindsided and we got awed by him, as the scripture says, being a man of the God's own heart. Huh? Man that loved God. God loved him. Pursued God. You know, and that's that's I can't oftentimes that is us. That is we, man. I'm gonna mess with the women today, but that's it. We love God. We pursue God. Amen. But does that mean we get it right all the time? No. No. And we got to be willing to admit that to ourselves first. Because if I can't admit it to myself, I'm sure I'm not going to admit it to you, honestly. I come, Johnny, I messed up. But in myself, I'm just saying to look pious. But I got to really admit it to myself. Hey, David, you screwed up. It's okay. Because once I acknowledge it, now I can change. Huh? It's just like the scripture said, he that first comes to God must first what? He that comes to God must first what? Believe that he is. Amen. I've got to acknowledge God before I come to God. i got to acknowledge my shortage before I come out of it. Hello. I'm trying to help us this morning. Amen. So remember, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. David looked good to everybody on outside, but there were problems in the palace. Hello. There were problems in the palace, amen. Yes, we, no, many of us know the story of David. Amen. Where he began his fall. Amen. As he took the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, and he seen her on the rooftop bathing herself, and he decided, oh, wow. I want her to be mine. And through his manipulating, amen, he, being king, got what he wanted. He made his way. and He brought her over there. And even though she refused, he insisted, I'm going to have my way. That's the king. Man that loved God. Amen. So after his plotting, amen, he find out that and I'm covering this because I got a lot of other areas I got to touch on. But he finds out that now she's pregnant. What am I going to do now? So now, David, not only has he stepped out and violated a married woman, but now he's trying to plot and cover up his sins. Did he repent right then? Now, let me, let me cover it up. And so he begins to plot, and he begins to scheme, and he brings Uriah home from the war. This man's out there fighting for the country. And he tries to get him to go home and be with his wife so he can cover up his sin, but Uriah said, how can I, you know, go and lay in my bed when my comrades are out there in the battlefield? So he wouldn't go in the house. He, he slept on the doorstep. 
And David brought him over and tried again to get him to go, and Uriah wouldn't go. So then he, 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 he begins to conspire. And he writes a, a note to the captain on the front lines, and he gives it to Uriah to deliver it. The note saying, put him in the hottest place of the battle so he can be killed. David has the man killed. And he takes the, his wife to be his own. Covering it up. But then the prophet Nathan comes a year later and he begins to tell him a story about a man who had a little ewe lamb and he loved that lamb and treated it like a part of the family. And his neighbor who was rich and had all kinds of herds and flocks came and he, he was doing a feast for a friend and he decided, go get that lamb from that poor man and kill it and dress it because I want to feed my guest. David got wrath and angry. He said, that man should be killed. I'm paraphrasing this because I, I, I don't want to spend too much time there, but the prophet Nathan looked at him and said, David, you the man. And David acknowledged his sin. Being who David was, David was quick to repent, to change, amen. Then David acknowledged his sin and said, you know what? From there he went on to write Psalms 51. David was forgiven. Huh? He, he didn't lose his kingdom. God is gracious, isn't he? But yet, David's actions, that infidelity, that cover-up, that conspiracy, all those things, amen, when he made that decision, that was step number one in a downward spiral that caused dysfunction to come into David's family. See, most often dysfunction comes into our family because of who? The men. Oh, how it is. I know, I know y'all weren't going to shock me down on that one. You know, years ago I began to, you know, because I have a heart for men. I really do. I love men. I, I love to see men come to God. I love to see men living for God. Uh, I, I love to help men work through their issues because I know I had a lot of issues. And, and when I had my issues, there was very few, if any, at times to be there to walk with me. So I said, Lord, I will be there. Because I understand the struggles of a man. Guess what? Because I'm a man. Better than a woman can understand the struggles of a man. So my heart is for men. This is why we push for the men's advance. And all those things because I understand the challenges that we have in being men. My wife used to put it like this. I see the little boy in you. We Sometimes we don't think they see the little boy, but he's there. Huh? He wanted just to see a strong man. No, I see the little boy showing up, the little boy that's scared, the little boy that's nervous, the little boy that don't know what to do. You know, I, I see him, I see him. And sometimes we see him too. But then we do what? Man up. But we got to realize, it's okay. You're still the same little boy you were. You just got some gray hair. Hello, if you ain't got it, it's coming. It's either going to turn gray or fall out, one of the two. Accept it. Sometimes both. Look at me. You know, so, so we understand David was, was repented. David was forgiven. David went on to write Psalms 51 against thee and thee alone have I sinned and done this great for the night. All those things were great. David was, you know, remained the king. But none of that erased the consequences of his actions. None of that erased the dysfunction that he himself introduced into his family. Deal with those things. 
I'm going to run through a list of the things that took place in David's life. i got a lot of scripture that go with it, but I'm not even going to go there. Just a list of the things that, that took place in his family because of David's actions. And when we begin to see all that David did, then we got to ask ourselves, this series of events, the domestic consequences that he allowed to come because he missed the connection somewhere with God. Failed to follow God's principles, and God said, "Be not deceived." God was not going to be mocked by David either. Whatsoever you sow, that shall you also reap. And if this great man David didn't get away with it, I know I ain't going to get away with it. I ain't going to get by. Hello. So I got to do what I need to do to call on God to help me, help me, help me to protect those I have responsibility for, to cover them. Lord, by my actions, because they're far-reaching, I may be dead, but those consequences can continue if I don't give them the tools to break the sequence, to turn it around. So, so here, here we look at David, amen, and he, he, he's done this thing, and he's brought the dysfunction into the house, and the prophet Nathan has dealt with him in Second Samuel, the 12th chapter. You can go back and read from then on. I mean, it's it just, wow. But Nathan came unto him and said, you the man. Ah, and he said this thing in course. But look at Second Samuel 12 and 10. After he exposed David to himself. They know it's known. It's been over a year, and you've been covering this thing up for a year. Huh? But the 12th chapter and the 10th verse, now take note to what Nathan said to him. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house. Because thou hast despised me, he's speaking on the behalf of the Lord. Thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Because you've done this thing, see what he said, the sword will never leave your house. The consequences have begun. Step number one, David and his action. And then the 11th verse says this, look at what it says. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will rise up evil against thee out of thine own house and will take thy wives from before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbors and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. Wow. So you saw her on the house now? I'm going to expose your stuff on the house now. Huh? Hello? This is, this is the Lord dealing with the David. I mean, consequently, he didn't kill him. But you got some consequences of it. Now, now let, me, let me say this. I don't know why God chose to deal with David so harshly. Maybe it was because he had such a great and high and lofty position and he had such influence and power over I don't know. But I do know this. God will deal with all of us according to our sin, all of us according to our stuff. Amen. And God is no respecter of person. Amen. He'll, he'll, he saved us. We're saved. We're, we're saved by grace. We're covered by grace. And he said, okay, constantly let me give you some grace to get through the consequences. Because they're going to come. Okay, I love you. I'm not going to kill you. But you planted some bad seeds. So now the harvest time is coming. David is now in the harvest season of his life. Amen. So he said in the sight, then we drop and go to the 16th chapter. All a part of step number one. That God said he would do this. 16th chapter, verse 21 and 22. It says, And Ahithophel 
said unto Absalom, Go into thy father's concubines. You know, all these concubines which he had left to keep in the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house. And Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. God exposed him. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. That sounds kind of harsh, ain't it? But God is just God. He realized, we need to realize the level of influence that we have. The level of power, the level of, of the lives that we affect is going to determine how God uses us in the right ways and it's also going to determine how God deals with us when we're wrong. That's why I take my position very seriously. Amen. Because I know if I mess up God's people, God will have a way with me. Amen. And, and, and I tell y'all quite often, I love me. God has taught me how to love myself. There was a time I didn't love myself. Amen. And I want to be right with God. I want, I want to spend eternity serving God and, you know, in, in his new kingdom. Amen. So therefore, I am not going to risk doing something stupid to be on the outs with God. I'd rather be on the outs with y'all. Hello. So I'm not going to risk that because I know that, you know, if I do something crazy, God's going to have to set it, the record straight. in the lives of so many people. Not just here. That he would have to deal with that. And I realize that. Therefore, striving to do it his way, not my way. Amen. And we as men, as fathers, you take that on board at our family level. Same, same, same difference. Same difference. So that was step number one. Step number two in the decline, amen, is because of David's sin, the next thing he and Bathsheba suffered was the loss of their newborn. And on top of everything else, now they have to deal with the grief of the death of the newborn child. David, that's part of the conflict that came up on David. God chose to go down that road. You get to heaven, you can talk to God about that. Amen? Did I say when you get to heaven? When you get to the new kingdom. Remember, we ain't going to hang out in the story. Another story. Got to break that old, old stuff that tries to come back. You know, so, so we begin to see that the child died, amen, in the 18th verse of the 12th chapter. But then we look at first number, step number three that took place. I got ten different steps. We're going to go through real quick. I'm trying to get there. I got I got Isn't that right? So, step number three, David began with sexual sin. So then we get to the 13th chapter, and we begin to see that he had two sons. That, like a 13 and 1. I got to hurry. Amen. Then it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. 
He was their stepbrother. See, Absalom and Tamar were of the same mother. But Amnon had a different mother, but they all had the same father. So, so he looked at his stepsister. Ooh, she cute. I say it like that. Amen. In the second verse, Amnon was so vexed. See, the spirit of lust, the spirit that came upon him, he was vexed that he felt sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Drop down to the 11th verse. This boy is plotting and scheming how I can do what I shouldn't be doing. He already knows. He was driving. See, so he, he said he acted, he was sick, and he beckoned for her to bring him some food. And it says in the 11th verse, he said, And when she had brought him them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come, lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Not, do not this folly. Verse 14. 15, howbeit he would not hearken to her, unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and laid with her. And Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the, hit, the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. I think love, he thought it was love, amen, drove him so much so that after he got what he wanted, amen, he hated it even more. That he thought he loved her. And said unto her, Rise, be gone. That was step number three. Number four, we got two brothers now. And one is hating the other. We're still talking about in the same family. These are things that David, his actions set in motion. Brought in, remember the sword will never leave your house. Amen. Verse number 20. And Absalom, her brother said unto her, Have Amnon thy brother been with thee and, and hold, but hold now thy peace. Now look, look what he said. He said, don't tell nobody. My sister. For he is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Verse 22 says, And Absalom spoke unto his brother Amnon neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced Tamar, his sister Tamar. Look at that. Say, for two years he didn't say a word to him. Didn't speak to him. But the hatred in his heart was brewing for two years because of what he had done to he didn't say nothing good, say nothing bad. He just, his heart was embittered. But he wasn't going to expose it by saying something, by doing anything. He held it in. He didn't let her tell Dad or nobody else. He just held it in, waiting for his opportunity, waiting for his opportunity. And you must ask yourself a question, you know, where was King David in all this? Look at verse number 21. We skipped over 21, remember? But when the king heard of all these things, even though Amnon, uh, Absalom said nothing to him, he was very wrong. That's all it says. And all this stuff going on in the house, it just said David was mad. He didn't intervene. 
He didn't try to bring correction. He was present but absent. Now how many times do we as men know things are going on, see things that are going on, and we're present but absent? I'm trying to help us this morning. I'm trying to help us because I've been in that position. I can say, I'll tell them. Time for us to be active, take a leadership role in these things. So that was the fifth thing. He failed to take action. He failed to follow his call. His call. It'll, it'll work itself out. Can't we just all be at peace? Can we all just get along? 